Welcome to Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. This is episode 118 of Death Readers, the podcast where Rob and I share our thoughts and notes with each other on the books we're reading for the first time. If this is your first time listening, we suggest reading The Legend of Dritz, Book 5, Streams of Silver, chapters 13 through 18, before listening to this episode. That way you too can follow along. Rob, do we have any housekeeping on your end? No. Neither do I. Yeah, let's jump right into the uh, the show. Starting with... Chapter 13, The Last Run. Summary. The party fights more trolls. A <laughs> lot more trolls. <laughs> this chapter is an exercise in how many different ways Salvatore can write, they fought trolls. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Uh, I've got a note on page 211. I have a note on page 210. I win. I'm going to go first. Okay. This is a dumb note, but I'm going to make it anyway. Regis has lost some roundness in his belly during the journey, which may definitively prove he's he is the halfling on the cover of the book. I called it. That's it's a silly little note I wanted to make, but I wanted to make it. No, that's fair. What's your note? My note, if I can just find it. Okay. They're just they're deciding whether they find their campsite and prepare for the battle now or later. Mm-hmm. And the next passage goes like this. We'll lose an hour and more. Brunor stated, more to open up the negative side of the plan than to argue. And I I could totally commiserate with, with poor Brunor, who just wanted to get it out there. He's not being argumentative. He's just pointing out to people uh, the downside. And it, I know it's fiction because he's not chastised for it. <laughs> hey, man, I've been there. I have certainly said things before that... I thought were salient observations that turned out to be unwanted contributions. And I think that that's a hard lesson to learn is, oh yeah. People suck. Well, or maybe I don't always need to be talking. <laughs> no. <laughs> always be talking. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's how you Just get like the Gary leads. Yeah. That's it. That's all I got. That's what I took away. There were, a, there's a lot of, <sighs> a lot of trolls. A lot of fighting. My, I have another note on page 218. Give it to me. Fairy fire is finally good for something. And that was when Dritz engulfs Wolfgar in fairy fire so that he looks like he's on fire. So the trolls will flee from him because they're afraid of fire. Sure. sure. And I'm starting to think that I'm going to stop. I'm going to very shortly if i haven't already gotten there stop wanting to hear about fairy fire <laughs> is there a point to fairy fire in, i think in, in the world of dnd it, it's in, i'm guessing it's invented for dnd right it's not from any other source right I, um, I, I guess they're like saying it's like a will of the wisp kind of thing maybe i'm trying to i'm trying to get the origin of fairy fire Right, I understand what you're asking about. Like, why does it exist? In, why does why it, is it part of what? Why is it part of what Dritz can do? Yes. Well, I mean, that could just be he's a you know a member of the fair folk, and that's something they can do. I don't care why he can do it. I want to know what the point of it is. Most things, you know, serve a purpose. The hell's the point of fairy fire? Well, it's not in that book, so let me find to, the internet. And to the point that you're just born with it, you don't need to go out and learn it. It's not like bouncing quarters into your beer mug this is not something he learned and it's a useless skill but he still spent time learning it he can just do it so why uh fairy fire it's a first level evocation it's ca casting time is one action it's range is 60 feet 
its components are visual. I think it's a V. I think that stands for visual. Makes sense. Could also stand for verbal, but I, I, I don't, I can't, it's just a letter. I don't, I don't know the game well enough to know that. Each object in a 20 foot cube within range is outlined in a blue, green, or violet light. Your choice. Any creature in the area when the spell is cast is also outlined in the light if it fails a dexterity saving throw. For the duration, objects and affected creatures shed dim light in a 10-foot radius. Any attack roll against an affected creature or object has advantage if the attacker can see it, and the affected creature or object can't benefit from being invisible. Oh, so so there you go. It's 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 a uh, Dritz used it like that once. Yeah, a while ago. Do you have to know where your prey is to cast it? Like if the person's already invisible, can you just cast it on anyone in the room? No, it's never. It says it's it's just the 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 maybe it's verbal and that's why because you can't if you can't see it that's what it's helpful for mm. is like you just say in this sixty foot radius fair uh, fire on everything and then it foot, out. Right, right, right. It, imagine it like the best case scenario for using it is you get daredevil vision in a perfectly dark room. Sure. But you could also reveal your Harry Potters and your Bilbo's. Right. And you could also... You couldn't couldn't reveal your Harry Potters because spells don't work on the cloak. I guess not. So, nice try. Also, also I think he's used it in ways like this before where, like, the image of the Dread Pirate Roberts being on fire is something that will terrify people. The Holocaust cloak. Yeah, exactly. So, I, I mean, it, argue. you can't argue with that, right? No, it's Princess no. Bride. Okay, uh, that's all I have for that chapter. There was a lot of fighting. It was a lot of that. St- it was it was one chapter butted up against another, both of which were just fighting Yeah. from the last episode to this episode. Yeah. So, I'm glad that we split them in half. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, let's move on to... Chapter 14, Starlight, Starbright. Um, summary. The party recovers from their latest troll fight and limps to Silvery Moon only to be turned away yet again. It seems like, even here in a city of brotherly love, there is no tolerance for drow. The offended party camps outside the gates, but Dritzt encounters the beautiful and magical Lady Illustriel, while everyone else slumbers. She explains that she had to turn Dritzt away because she's garnered t- he's garnered too much attention to risk entering the city. She bestows upon him a gift of potion and directions westward towards a hermit who may know precious little about the location of Mithril Hall. Immediately more engaged in this chapter. I really don't care for Salvatore's battle scenes. Yeah, same. I My note here is another good chapter where Dritz is the victim of prejudice that may help bigots empathize with the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, in that way where it's not like it's not that thing where someone is just screaming obscenities at him it's right. like no this is a real world example of what happens to people who are the subject of prejudice sure and it sucks and this indritz is a is a noble hero who takes it on the chin and is is so crestfallen here in in a way that i thought was really you know endearing um but agreed like i am i am so over reading about the fighting in these books i it's it's like I I'm actually kind of interested in reading like a more plot based book. Yeah. But who fucking knows? I mean I think I think you made the observation really early on that these feel kinda like campaigns that were turned into books, and I think there might be a lot to that. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's definitely how campaigns seem to work is you have to have if you're if you're if you're DMing for a 
group than you, which is how it should be played. And mm-hmm. and you have a variety of di- what pe- things people want in their groups. Then you have to simultaneously be able to provide co- like engaging combat and puzzle solving and narrative and like politics and subterfuge and like story right. all at once in real time. And it's, it's not easy, but this definitely feels like one of those things where there was a lot of trolls. You had to fight <laughs> this, this session. So let's move on, you know, and then until we get not, not us, but like in the, in the adventure, that's what you would have to say. Like, Oh, well now we've defeated the trolls and we kept walking and now we're at our location. A lot of that. A lot of it. Well, uh, do you have anyone else about, in that chapter? I've got to know about the moon bridge. Ooh, the moon bridge. Remember the moon bridge? The invisible bridge? The invisible bridge? bridge? It's like, wow, you think they've never seen invisibility before. Have they seen invisibility before? Well, yeah, because remember at the, the town that had the invisible wall and the water that went invisible when you went under the bridge? Yeah. Yeah. My point What's is they just all stop and like Harry Potter in the eighth book still being gobsmacked about shit they're mm. like whoa it's invisible <laughs> i'm like dude like three chapters ago you were looking at all kinds of invisibility yeah it's just uh you know i don't like that I admire the craftsmanship man but come on come on it, yeah yeah i don't know i uh maybe they were maybe they were uh gobsmacked at the people who appeared to be floating in thin air but were actually walking across a solid surface and it wasn't the invisibility that struck them as it was the apparent levitation which also shouldn't be that impressive right because dritz could for a long time innately levitate we have a mention of dove falconhand we do have that mention which was a little it, convenient a little well i don't find it convenient per i feel her first appearance is convenient remember we have to backwards we have we have to retro break this down well because sure she has Go- this is her first mention technically and in the prequel book was you know fan service to this shit yeah i can see that yep but she it- is a lustral sister right but it sounds like uh a lustriel is drow blocking her <laughs> yeah i don't I, I would love to know what the purpose of maybe it'll happen in this book but it certainly seems like a weird thing to mention by the way my sister with this name has taken a great interest in you but i've uh, you know because there was an exchange wasn't there where they're like and, and he was like were there situations different you wouldn't mind if i hit that right and she'd be like yeah no go for it but then by the end of the conversation she was basically saying she was into him right I don't, maybe, I, maybe I, I feel like that was the scope of the conversation. He's like, whoa, man, tough fucking hand, huh? Maybe I'm, I'm, uh, in desperate need of classes on how to pick up when people are flirting, but, uh, shall we read it? I, we, yeah, if you'd like to, if you know where it is, eh, I mean, how hard could it be to find? It might be kind of hard to find. Hold on a second. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what? I can't read my handwriting. That's the problem. Hmm. Know you that I have two sisters. Dritz shook his head. Blah, 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 blah. Dove Falcon had a ranger. Both have taken an interest in the name of Dritz. Dove, I have yet to discern her motives. You have become a hero to her. She came into the city just this morning and knew of your impending arrival. Blah, blah, blah. She might have sought me out, Dritz reason, seeing the implications that Illustrial feared. She will eventually. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, seeing the implications uh, that, that Illustrial feared. There it is. 
Yeah, but then she says, Illustrial stared at him intently, her gaze hinting at deeper and more personal emotions, and more so I myself would have sought audience with you as I do now. So then when he says, I, another time, another place, perhaps, would it bother you so much? So he was still, he was talking about her, not Dove. Well, I, I didn't pick up any of that uh, subtext. Uh, not to say it's not there. I was just like, oh, I guess they're they're talking about dealing with politics. Like, she's got other business he could be helpful with. And he's <laughs> like, yeah, I know. I bet I could be. But uh, that business is naughty business. So, it's just interesting. And then and then my secret suspicion that Dove is going to be the elf maiden he rescued. I don't think it works time-wise, but still, it'd be funny. Wasn't she also human? No. I mean, Lady Illustrial is an elf. Is she? Yeah. Oh. Is she not? Now I gotta look. God damn it, Doug. What did I do? I don't know. Human wizard. Lady Illustrial Silverhand was a human wizard who served for many years as the ruler of the open city of Silvery Moon. Well, I well, guess I was wrong too. Yes, you were. I totally and now yeah. I'm look up Dove Falconhand. I totally I totally thought Dove was human, and then I for whatever reason took away that Lady Illustrial was an elf. Probably because her name sounds like a, you know, a very no. lazy paraphrase of what? Kate <laughs> Blanchett. Oh, uh, Lady Galadriel. Yes. God damn. <laughs> uh, and so I just assumed, and then I was like, oh, I guess Dove's an elf then. But apparently, I was wrong the other way around. Twice wrong. Well, three wrongs make a left. That's not. That's also. That's a third wrong. Yes. So you win. Off uh, I go. <laughs> Yeah, uh, but you know, elves and, and humans they can they can bump stumps. It's not a not a problem. Pumps, jumps. They're not ants. That's what all the kids are saying. Well, it's, it's the new terminology: bumping stumps. Yeah, I believe that only happens in Game of Thrones. <laughs> what? What? Okay. Am I missing a like especially um, good uh, entendre? Uh, what's his face? Who played the one guy? Right, Reek. Mm-hmm. He was he was he was snipped. Mm-hmm. And had only a stump to bump against things. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's a way to look at it. Um. <laughs> I'm glad we're not awkward tonight. <laughs> yeah, I I had forewarning. This would be a great show. All right. Do you have any more notes in that chapter? No more. Okay. Let us progress to... Chapter 15, The Golem's Eyes. Uh, summary. Dritzt and friends have a good night's rest, and in the morning, Wolfgar drinks a potion that completely heals his back and leg. Meanwhile, the flesh golem detects Dritzt nearby and begins marching an uninterruptible march towards the drow. Intriri and Sydney find the golem in the hands of the city guard and their wizard, who indecently proposed a forgiveness of the repair cost for one night with the monster. Sid- <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sydney agrees, but soon after realizes that the monster must have been drawn to Dritz nearby, so she sets off to find the hero. I mean, that's a fair... Yeah. Analysis of what happened in the I, in the episode. I very much think so. That's, I just hadn't considered it that way, but yes. <laughs> Does that make Demi more the flesh golem? Yeah. Oof. Which, you know, arguably, like, you know, sex symbols 
Uh, I feel like flesh golems are essentially the same terminology. Hmm. Okay. They're, they're synonymous to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're uh, incredibly powerful. They're they're cobbled together with much, much difficulty by wizards or PR people. Surgeons. I feel Sometimes. Like surgeons are more of the spell. But, but sure. I think we're saying the same thing. We're saying the same thing. Do you have any notes in this chapter? Do I have any notes? Um, well, I can do the hard lifting, the heavy lifting, and convince myself, if I needed to, that Dritz didn't tell his party about Lady Silvery Moon for reasons. It still seems more of a narrative contrivance. It's like, why, why didn't you just tell him that you talked with her and it made sense and here's her leads and the fucking magic shit? Because mm, Dritz is cool. He's like... He's like, oh, man, I don't have to tell everybody everything. I'm a man of mystery. Seems like more hindrance than help if you're, you know, all on a quest and trying to stay alive. Uh. <laughs> okay. No, hey, just my observation. I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. I would much rather be on a quest with someone who would tell me all the information as soon as possible than some dude who's like, didn't seem pertinent at the moment or something like that. Yeah. Because that, that feels like a guy who's uh, keeping information from you that uh, could cause you to be hurt. What I'm saying. 100%. All right. My only other note is uh, at least they're only hitting tied-up women this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, again, these are the bad guys. And we've got to know they're bad. Yeah. They're the bad guys. And, so in a narrative sense, that excuses a bad them. Bad thing guy to do. But... And so in a meta-narrative no, it ex- sense, it excuses them. But it doesn't excuse Salvatore for going back to that well continuously. There are other ways to be a bad guy. No, I think I feel the opposite way. Oh. I think it doesn't excuse their behavior at all. They are bad guys. But they're... it narratively excuses it because they're bad guys, so we can just move on. No, it excuse. I think when you say narratively excuses, what I mean is it excuses the author. Like, it's like in That's... this... It doesn't excuse weak writing. It also doesn't excuse your sensitivity to this trope. Like, there's a difference between something being, like, bad and something being not to your taste. And I don't think that these situations are enjoyable to me, but I don't know how to... I don't think I would just... I'm not comfortable blanketly deciding that they are just bad because they are part of the plot. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's tired. Right, but I think that's something that is, is you're bringing to the table as much less as it's what's happening in the book very well and that's that's fine like that's that's a that's you know it's part of the experience um i just i I don't again i we talked about this a lot you know this this book because it happens a lot in this book um and not to get too reiteratory uh but I know that at least for me, like I feel like it's it's a tired trope for me, but this book was written thirty years ago, uh-huh. and I have no idea if what the landscape was like then. And I feel like it's short sighted to to condemn it as bad writing because I'm a different person than the people reading it at the time. Well, then, do you have any other notes? No, I don't. Well, then, let's move the hell on. Let's let's advance to part three: trails and you summary. 
Once again, Salvatore spouts some liberal claptrap about responsibility and the dangers of making it exceptionally easy for anyone to shoot fire from their arms. I agreed with the sentiment. This section was still obnoxious. I thought there was a pretty good metaphor, you know, for the argument for gun control. <laughs> like, basically being like, like he, he, the, the whole section is him saying, if you let a wizard with heavy quotations... Mm-hmm who has to learn how to utilize the firearm in quotation spell, which is not the actual spell, but like for the sake of the argument, it's a, you shoot a ball of fire. Right. That person has to go through a lot of training and discipline in order to be able to achieve that spell or the capacity to utilize it correctly. Whereas as opposed to arming just any idiot with the fireball or firearm spell. Yes. Yes. Without any kind of background check or waiting period. Right. Right. And that, uh, I thought that that was, uh, again, liberal claptrap, as I call it, uh, in, in this. Because it's, it's very interesting to read this book and feel like maybe, maybe this is another one of those things where, like, from my perspective, being a person who would agree with these notions, this seems kind of nifty. <laughs> like, it seems like, like, I like the idea that this writing could find its way into the hands of people who are ideologically opposed to these things or this rationale in the real world. Sure. And are so dense that they need a fucking wizard parabell or parallel to be able to like figure oh. out that they're wrong. No par- parable works. You just said it very weird. <laughs> I said, it, I, I, I mixed up both words, parallel and parable and it became <laughs> parabell, which is I really like parabell, which Care is parabell. Uh, Care Parabelle, indeed. <laughs> so, like it, th- I, I, I have this. I have a fantasy that these books are doing great work. <laughs> sure. Um, I like. I like the... that fantasy. That that would be a a good world to live in. I would love to hear stories about someone. Like, I want to hear the the memoirs Kid. of the of the right. person who's like, I was horrible racist, and then I read Dritz. <laughs> it changed me life and my me worldview. I want to I want to read that book. Maybe maybe one day. And that that voice by the way that I don't know if you could tell because I'm pretty good at it. That was my Liam Neeson accent. Oh, of course. That was my Liam Neeson impression. Mhm. Mhm. Of a very special set of skills. <laughs> anyway. God, this is horrible. <laughs> it's not great. In E-Way, do you have any other notes in that chapter? I don't. Well, let us advance. Chapter 16, Days of Old. Summary. The champions of the hall arrive at the Herald's Tower and meet with Old Knight, its sole occupant. The old sage brings the party to the library where he shows Brunor the only book in his collection that mentions Mithril Hall, but it offers little direction. Brunor drinks the memory potion Illustrial Gifted Dritz, and the dwarf is soon steeped in a sweat-soaked memory of days gone by. With Dritz's help, Brunor is able to navigate his memories and remember a brief description of his homeland's location. Old Knight suggests the party move on immediately as to make the best of Brunor's remembrance trance. Uh, I have a single overview note of this chapter. Okay. And it is that I liked it, and I want more chapters like this. It's a pretty good chapter. I, I think that visually it was what I want in fantasy. Um, it was the heroes arriving at a, at a 
lonely tower in the wilderness that's occupied by a ancient sage hermit who has wondrous visuals that open up like the, they're the you know the the door opens and this blue light is everywhere and it, it, it like it rushes closed with a with a whooshing sound and you know and then they go into these different chambers with these etched like scu- sculptures and, and in the walls that show the history of races of of the of the of the land and each room is its own room of the of each race and their heroes and their stories there's contraptions uh, and wonder it's it's but it all it all feels earned it all it's oh, unlike sure. that fucking like Willy Wonka toy store in in the earlier chapters where <laughs> right. everything was just like you know like oh we turned your horses into cats or whatever and it's like i don't <laughs> why why did you what i mean that's weird and all but so why you can pick him up duh horses can't walk on their own idiot you also yeah yeah you know like like that's the thing that's like i, I imagine why people hate wizards <laughs> it's like it's things like Oh, you're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure out and energy and effort trying to figure out a way to make a horse miniaturized to the size of a cat. But I could just hitch it to a post (laughs) and be done with it. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Whatever. This chapter, though, is like I said, I I really. This had a. This had a. Well, you haven't seen it, but this had a real feel of. Uh, Jen seeking out Agra in the Dark Crystal, right? Which is I, exactly like you're saying that 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 mythic sort of pit stop, right? Where you get some beef jerky and some info. Yeah, and and like, or like you know, it, it's it was a lot like you know Yoda in the same way where you stop by and you experience the the wizard who gives you the direction and helps you understand what you need to do. Sure. It's a very classic, you know, Campbell-esque, like, pit stop. Although it is, like, this this whole book is a series of those. Mm-hmm. So, like, which one is the the Campbellian? This this feels the most Campbellian because it's not so dumb. Right. Yeah, my only note, uh, really, other than, you know, all that shit you said, uh, <laughs> was I just wondered if Wolfgar, uh, the the purposely say he set the hammer down went through the doors and the doors slammed shut and i just wondered if you know he left he picked it up or not but then it didn't really matter because this was a good guy and they didn't need their weapons so whatever yeah yeah um any more notes in that chapter no sir all right let us progress to chapter 17 the challenge summary very little happens in this chapter, <laughs> but Brunor redundantly reiterating his intention of making it to Mithril Hall and the bad guys nearly catching up to the champions of the hall, except for that the bad guys' quarrels come to a boil as Entreri and Jeridan finally cross blades. Cadibri attacks Sydney and escapes in the direction of her friend's camp, but is pursued by the flesh golem, Bok, who she manages to trap in a rock slide. Jaredin is not so lucky as Entreri stabs him in the back while the soldier of Luskin turns to assist his fallen mage companion. I, uh, first and foremost want to say that Entreri's smile is almost as obnoxious as Dindibar's modeling. Oh, yeah? I'm just, I'm sick of his evil smile and he smiled wickedly and... Um, I agree with you, and I'll, but I also want to take a side note to say I haven't read modeled in this entire section. Oh, you're wrong. There were two. 
I, was I wasn't saving counting the model, at all. I was saving the model count, but there were two models. Sorry. It's okay. They're pretty early well, on. My brain feels modeled now. <laughs> sure. But yes, that is the official model count, modeled count of this section. This, this, this episode is two. So I thought there was going to be a lot more. It's probably why you weren't picking up on it. I was just taking shots every time I read one, and then I just I blacked out. Well, you need two more. On two. <laughs> <laughs> um, I yeah I agree. I in in Trieri, I'm hoping for his death because like he's one of I feel like at this point I'm comfortable. We've read three quarters of the book yeah. so far. I'm comfortable saying that I don't like him as a bad guy. Um, there's not a lot there. Is that what you mean? Be, like, there's well, the only thing that's there mm-hmm. is the thing you you are have been bringing up is gotcha. this like he keeps hitting Cadbury, he keeps well, hitting no, Cadbury. No. In his defense, in this section, it was the other guy who hit her, the guy from the. No, town. what I'm saying, yes, that's fair enough. But what I'm saying, like, is as a villain, he yeah. is as he's described as being like unbeatably skilled with a sword. Which can only be there to build him up as a inevitable uh, challenge for Dritz to struggle against. Right. To make the inevitable fight they have in the next section of the book uh, so terrifying and, and actually feel like Dritz might be at risk of something or somebody else. Sure. I mean that would be the that would be the real trick would be to put someone else in combat with the master swordsman like I, I think he's going to keep going after Regis even, and everyone's going to get in his way and Dritz will be the last one to get in his way, right? Or any of them any of them are going to have trouble fighting him off in the end, and so like that's going to be the thing where you're like oh god we've seen this guy kill so many people so easily and with such viciousness that it's it's going to hopefully be a nice payoff when he gets his but we're going to have to be brought right to the precipice yeah. of of his him killing someone we actually care about before he's dispatched right and and so besides that the only thing he has that like defines his character is he's a hired assassin on the hunt for regis yep he likes hitting caddy brie yep. and in using her as a as a device to get to his ends met and uh he's also kind of you know vicious and murderous even when he doesn't necessarily have to be right. And I feel like that is so mustache twirly, uninteresting, no depth villain mm-hmm. that I'm just not interested. I'm, and that's that's me coming from a point of also saying I'm kind of also fed up with the narrative cliche of the villain, the likable villain. Um, I feel like we have had a lot of fiction recently uh, that focuses on, on, on making the bad guy the good guy. And I'm over that. Like I uh, example I, Loki. Okay. I I don't need more of that is what I'm saying. I don't need um I I I think that they're I'm I'm in the mood for bad guys who are bad guys, which I think but might still also interesting. be <laughs> I'd like them to be interesting. Yes. Yeah. Um but like I I I I just I'm okay with a bad guy who is just a bad guy. I don't think the world needs more let me put it this way. I don't need more reason to empathize with other people's giving in to their worst qualities. Hmm. What I'd like is, is a, is a reason to hope. I'd like to read in fiction, a character who gives me inspiration to be a better person and see the world in a better way. And I, so while I, while I want 
in Trieri and the villains in these stories to be more interesting. I also don't want them to be more relatable. Gotcha. Okay, that totally um, makes sense. Uh, another example is Jamie Lannister, you know, like, or, or a character who, you know, starts the first episode of Game of Thrones throwing a child out of a window and crippling him for life. And then also, like, being a just a lousy jerk. And he goes through a transformation. That's fine. But, like, that show's also full of horrible people sure. who go through some sort of transformation to become kind of likable. Or take likable characters and take them into a transformation to make them total fucking hateful, horrible monsters. So, like, I am I think that, like, again, it's it's disappointing for me as I continue to ramble to realize that so much of my experience in fiction and fantasy fiction in the last decade has been preoccupied by game of thrones that like i it's definitely saturated me in a in a way that i'm ready to be over kylo ren is another one i haven't seen it but i'll take yeah, your word for it take my word for it it's <laughs> it's it's a completely unsatisfying arc uh in in three completely unsatisfying films <laughs> and i'm just like i said i'm just over it i i'm I, I think I'm ready for a Superman movie where Superman is a is is Superman. You know what I mean? Like I, 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 I I'm, I'm I'm ready for a Donner esque, positive, enduring symbol of hope. Like I think that's what I I think that's what a lot of people want right now. I want some pink some pink slime. What? Oh, come from from Ghostbusters yeah. too. Yeah. Wow. Um. When I think pink slime, I think of that McDonald's meat thing. Oh, the nuggets. Yeah, and and so like I uh, I like at at same same time I like Intrury having no redeeming qualities, because I like him. I like knowing he's the bad guy, and I like Dritz having very few negative qualities, because I like having a you know an uh, a hero to aspire to be. But I would also love it if if Intrury was added more to the story than the things he's adding. Do you think... No, okay, let's talk about Dritz. Uh, I think it was in the l- last book when they were going through Akar Kessel's minions in the caves. And Dritz got all wild and seemed yes. reckless. Do you think he was actually reckless and Wolfgar was correct about that? Or was Wolfgar just not as familiar with Dritz yet and Dritz was just being super cool Dritz? Because if Dritz Dritz, could actually be reckless, that would be an interesting character flaw. I think he was being reckless. I think Dritz was was living it up and taking unnecessary risks because he was having such a good time. Sure. Like, I I thought of it like uh, driving really fast and not wearing a seatbelt. It's Mm kind of like that, where it's like... He's he's cool because he can do that and survive. Sure, but like at the same time, good. like it is a character flaw because you don't like it's a bad thing to do. It would be interesting to explore that some more because I haven't seen that since. I entirely agree. That was one like maybe two chapters in a book ago, and I really I think that was one of those things where you and I, I think both latched on to this this characterization of Dritz as a swashbuckling. Errol Flynn type Mm -hmm. a little more cocky than yes he has been lately and and a little more campy a little bit more Mm tongue-in-cheek like like uh you know he he keeps grabbing the meat as he's fighting and eating it because yeah there was a whole bunch of holy crap where's that dritz (laughs) yeah exactly like that dritz was super cool and and so much fun that we should have seen that dritz in that troll fight something 
Well, I yeah, I anywhere, anywhere it, it would have been cool to see the Druid stuff, but like we haven't. Everything's been very serious. Everything's been very dour. Mm-hmm. I'm I would love to read more of the Cavalier swashbuckling Dritz. I I think he is he is really fun, and I'd like to see more of him. But I agree. We are where we are with him. So where did we start with that conversation? And Trey like smile. Yes, it was terrible. Um, I have one more note in this chapter, but do you have any? No. This is just a personal peeve, and it's regarding Caddy Bree. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I can't even blame Salvatore, because it does seem like it's reasonably realistic. But for fuck's sake, when your enemy is down, you always give them a few more bashes about the head to make sure they're knocked out. You're talking about Sydney? Yeah. Kick them when they're down. Yeah. Knock him out again. Stab him if he got something. You ever see that movie, Support Your Local Gunfighter? No. Or Support Your Local Sheriff? No. Well, I can't remember which one it was. They're both cowboy movies with James Garner, kind of a riff on the Maverick show. So, like, comedic cowboy movies. Okay. There's a scene where uh, he knocks out the gunfighter that's, you know, come to town to, to shoot him. And then he grabs this like old timey because they're in a shop. He grabs this old timey iron and smashes the guy's trigger finger. Ooh! While he's knocked out, and then Henry Morgan from uh, from Mash is like, "Oh, it looks like he's left-handed," and he had to go, "Oh," and then smash the <laughs> other one. And that just stuck with me. I'm just like, genius! It's a badass gun finger break both of his fingers. Got I it. don't. I don't remember if we talked about the movie The Shooting on this show. No. I feel like we uh, might have. We um, talked about it. I don't know if we talked about it on the show. This is the one with Jack Nicholson? Yeah. There's a moment like that in that in that movie where there's this whole tension the whole time about, like, Jack Nicholson has a gun and he's super fast on the draw and he will kill you before you have your you, you have a chance to take aim. Sure. And uh, when finally there is a moment where one of the other characters gets a chance to get an upper hand on him... He takes a big rock and smashes Nicholson's hand. And exactly. It's it's an it's a really great scene because it's definitely that thing you're talking about where he's like, "This is the thing that's scary. This is the thing that keeps me from feeling safe, and I'm gonna take it away from my opponent." I mean, think outside the box. There are probably more ways than you can think of to literally or figuratively disarm your enemy. But to give Caddy Bree a little bit of a break. I think that there was some bad writing here in that she is described as hitting Sydney over the head. Sure. I took it as knocking her out, but then she runs away and you, and there's a line where it says, and then Sydney cried out, go get her Bach or something like that. Right. And, and then like after that is when the soldier from Luskin, his name, I'd never remember. Cause it's not a good name. No. A Jared or something like that. Sure. He gets fatigued in his his uh, fight with Intriri, and he says, "Oh, let's call this off. I'm gonna go check on the mage because she's unconscious." And then, like, after he's murdered, Intriri also has to wait for her to regain consciousness. So it's like, it's like he wanted to have it both ways. He wanted to have her be unconscious, but also be able to command the golem. So he just wrote both, and expected us to figure out when and what took place when. And I don't like that. I don't remember having him having to look for it real quick. I don't remember him having to wait for her to wake up. That's the only part I don't remember. But I mean, other than that, either way, like if if she had made sure Sid Sydney, yeah, was knocked out, then 
the golem would have broken up the fight and there would have been more people to come after her. So I, I, it doesn't work. I, I, or either way, there's no perfect solution here. But just in my heart of hearts, make sure your enemy's down. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I can read it to you. Sure. A few miles down the trail behind them, a similar camp had been set. Intreri stood quietly, peering to the trails of the eastern mountains for a sign of a campfire, though he doubted that the friends would be so careless as to light one if Cadibri had found and warned them. Behind him, Sidney lay wrapped in a blanket upon the cool stone, resting and recovering from the blow Cadibri had struck her. The assassin had considered leaving her, normally he would have, without a second thought, but Intreri needed to take some time anyway to regroup his thoughts and figure out his best course of action. Dawn came and found him standing there, still unmoving and contemplative. Behind him, the mage awoke. Jeridan, she called, dazed. Intruri stepped back and crouched over her. So, this is an eighteen or seventeen. This is, uh, chapter eighteen. Oh, okay. I was I was looking where the fight was happening. No, this is later. Um, sure, sure, sure. So this, to me, all of this suggests that she does not know what has happened since she was struck on the head. Okay. She and okay, go ahead. I was gonna say, um, during the actual fight, just after Caddy Bree uh, hit her, this says just after Caddy Bree slipped into the thick tree, she heard Sydney gasp, "Buck, that's it, not go get her or anything." So she might have just been saying it as she was knocking, you know, go slipping into unconscious. I don't like it either okay. way. Sure. I mean, yeah, I know. Fair enough. I'm glad you clarified it, but I. I, I, I'll stand by my criticism. It's it's having your cake and eating it, too. It's right she succumbs to... Oh, she was able to gasp out a final command before losing, losing consciousness. Or something. Like, help me understand that the, the chronology of the events and why. Like, right. if you want her to be unconscious, tell me she's unconscious. If you want her to be a conscious enough to to call out to the golem and then the golem somehow understands the that simple of a command right i don't know right just it's just not written well that's fair that's completely fair all right that's it for me me too uh, i have precious few notes in this precious, <laughs> Same. precious few uh so let us advance to the final chapter 18 the secret of keepers dale summary Intruri stays with Sydney until she wakes and informs her that Jaredin is dead and the golem destroyed. She bades him take her to the golem where she unearths the beast with a word and their pursuit continues. Meanwhile, the champions of the hall are met by their old friend Caddy Bree who informs them that enemies be at their backs. Having found the entrance to Mithril Hall, Brunor is unable to deduce a way to open its sealed secret door. It is Wolfgar, whose penchant for hitting things with his hammer ultimately opens the door in a scene right out of Peter Jackson's The Hobbit. Brunor and the party enter the hall and find the skeletal remains of his family and their enemies, the Drugar, the Grey Dwarves. Brunor sets to rest the bones of his ancestors and dons their armor, reclaiming his kingdom as its eighth king of Mithril Hall. I mean, this is totally... Moria and the Lonely Mountain combined. Yeah. It's just... To the point where you're just like... Come on, man. It's like... It's I, like watching... Uh, it's like watching a remake of a movie, in a way. Okay, here's... In his favor... Let's use your favorite excuse of 30 years ago. <laughs> Only certain groups were big fans of Tolkien back then. 
Right. And they would have eaten this up. It wasn't in the public consciousness like it has been since Peter Jackson's films came out. Right. So it probably felt more like a little in-jokey homage than, you know, everyone going, oh, we know. So I I imagine it's also like, if you're going to write a story about dwarves, Mm. then what else do dwarves do if not search for their ancestral homes? Oh, shit. They, they, They join the police force. Uh, they have a whole gender disparity thing where they, they want to, they want to, you know, proclaim their gender, but it's taboo in the dwarven world. Um, there's lots of political dealings amongst the dwarves. Uh, they've got, they've got religious dwarves who don't like the new young dwarves, you know, calling out that they're female, all kinds of shit, man. Well, maybe now, but 30 years ago. Yeah, some of it was started uh, 30 years ago. Look, my point is you should read Discworld because it's fucking good. Is it? Yeah. Um, oh, I could talk well, about dwarves. Oh. Well, well anyway, <laughs> Salvatore's Ugh. 30 years ago, as, as, the, as the Tolkien fan that he is clearly needed to get through. There's, there's one dwarf who likes to fuck all the time, and his name is Casanunda. Okay. Because he goes under instead of over, like Casanova. Get it? It's Casanunda. It's not bad. Okay. But my point is that I think that... <laughs> it's fair. There, There's something to be said for, like... Okay. Seth Meyers had on his show a bit. Or a, 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 a some a semi recurring segment. I think it's only really happened once or twice. That was, I forget exactly what it's called, but the premise is, uh, SNL cast members, a second chance theater is what it's called. Okay, okay. They get a chance to do to finally perform sketches that got cut from episodes of Saturday Night Live. So sketches like that cut they, in the scripting stage, or like they were filmed and cut. Uh, cut in the scripting, I think. Gotcha, gotcha. Or, or cut at rehearsal, sure, or something like sure, that. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, and one of the and, and so there are these moments where like there there's these bits that are just like they're funny and they're weird on their own, but like you never have seen them before, and it, it gives it gives the writers and performers a chance to actually like do them finally, and and get them to see their the the light of day. And there's one with Andy Samberg where the whole premise is that this guy, this obnoxious guy wants to, he keeps every time he's at a party, he asks or or he's hanging out with people. He asks him if he, they want him to come with them. So like, I don't remember exactly how the bit works, but it, it always ends up like every interaction he ends with is him saying, Oh, you want me to come with like, like, like like, I'm going to go to the bathroom. Yes. Oh, you want me to come with guy? Right. And so that's the whole bit, and it just progressively gets, you know, weirder or whatever. And I'm going to go make they, love to my wife. <laughs> Q. Uh, when <laughs> when they're done with the with the sketch, right? They would have like a roundtable discussion about it and about like tell the story of the of the bit and how it came up, why it got cut, why it didn't work, or or whatever. And in the end of that one, I think. Yorma, one of the Lonely Island guys, was there, and he I think it was him. I think he talked about how this was a thing that Andy just wouldn't stop talking about. Andy Andy wouldn't stop doing this thing 
behind the scenes. He wouldn't stop asking people if he, they wanted him to come with. Right. And so they made this sketch to get it out of his system. And they mentioned that, that concept of this is something you had to do. You have to excise this thing from you. You have to push it out of you and, and see it to completion. So you can, so you can move beyond it. So you can get past it. And I kind of feel like a lot of what Salvatore is doing in these books specifically is that with Tolkien. He's thinking about Tolkien all the time. He loves Tolkien. He's got to get it out so he can go have his own original adventures. Exactly. That makes sense. I can see so it. So I, th- I think that for that reason, you he has to see Brunor through the Mithril Hall quest. His Moria-esque adventure. With, complete with Smog. Right. Like, he's got to do the whole thing that way so he can move beyond it. Uh, he's got to have a, a a halfling that has a magical like item gem right. that he has to get past eventually because he just he already wrote it. It does exist. He's got to get through it. Right. So uh, who knows? Maybe this series really series really kicks off at book seven. Oh god, <laughs> I, I, I I I couldn't tell you, but it uh, I, I that that's how I interpret these things. Is sure. it's just like it's a. It's like we mentioned earlier. It was like Salvatore at this point in his writing career. He's I I truly believe he's doing the best he can with what he has. Uh, I can't speak for him as an as an author completely. I can only speak for these five books we've read. But that's that's my impression at least is that it is a he has a thing he's got to get rid of. He's got to pull a splinter out of his skin before he can move on. Okay. So. That's how I have uh, been dealing with it. Uh, what else did you think? Uh, do you have any notes in that chapter? No other notes. What did you think about the uh, the revelation that the the evil force fighting Brunor's clan were the Grey Dwarves? Is that what we got, or were they allied against something else? It certainly seemed to suggest that they were fighting each other. Okay. Um. Not much. And that there was something else, though. Sure. Because Brunor mentions that there must have been a reason why this area wasn't completely looted. I mean, I've been waiting for this freaking dragon since the literal first pages of this book. So that's right. that's what my money's on. Um, I think at that point, I just like skeletons and skeletons. Brunor's got his cover helmet and axe now, so that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah, that's the, the image of the cover is the thing we've just read is... Brunor picking up his armor from his dead clansmen, uh, which we can see on the on the at his feet. Right. Um, but also shadowy figure in the back. Oh, also it's funny that that the cover depicts Regis looting the bodies. It does. I was I was wondering. I'm like, is that his own little sword or dagger that he just he's he's hunched over? Or he's no. He's he's. It pretty much looks like he's stealing that from a body, especially with his furtive look at Brunor like. You're not seeing me steal from your family, right? He could be stealing from the Grey Dwarves. I suppose. It did uh, strike me as, like, fortunate that Brunor has found Mithril Hall now. And that, like, if everything goes to plan, he's got all this armor ready to, like, suit up his people. Yeah, but has he got... I mean, do you think he's going to lose that axe? Like, when Entreri is going after Regis and Dritz is fighting him to his last breath and Brunor hurls the axe at Entreri and it catches him in the gut and he goes falling over some cliff or bridge of Khazadun and he has to lose his axe, but he gains the dwarf. And he'll be like, oh, Rumblebelly, you cost me my family's axe. Yeah, I would be open to anything okay, sure. like that happening. Um, it could be anything. It could, it could be 
it could get melted off on, under the acid breath of a black dragon. Sure, I forgot about that black dragon acid breath. <sighs> I feel like I had a thought that I, I didn't write down that I wanted to remember in this area, but now I, I haven't remembered it. Yeah. So, uh, do you have any new words? I don't have any new words. I have a new word. <gasps> Wait, so that brings us to a new word alert? <laughs> All right, are you ready? I'm prepared. For this new word that I learned in this book? Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, man. Here we go. Route. Route? Route. Like, uh, well, I have I know two versions of that word. Okay. W- one is like a path you would I'm gonna, take. I'm going to say that's actually root, just for clarification, because there is an E on it. So is this the one that is to, like... Defeat your enemies? Summarily defeat your enemies? To rout? Let me find it in here. Possibly. Possibly. I think it might be related. It's on page 210. The wide water actually proved of benefit to the companions. The ride on its glassy surface was easier than hiking, and despite the crouching perils, they encountered nothing hostile after their second rout of the water trolls. Yeah. Defeat. So the definition is to defeat decisively or disastrously. To disorganize completely. But also, uh, as a noun, a crowd of people. So I didn't understand if it was a crowd of trolls or a defeat of trolls. But either way, I think it was a defeat. I wasn't familiar with that term at all. Bang, bang, I know words. You know words. Look at you. I'm so proud. Bang, bang. I got the word. Student has become the master. Nice. All right. Well, next episode, we finish the book. <gasps> okay. We, we read we read chapter 19 through the end, which is only like 90 pages. Any more guesses for a model count? Ooh. Oh, f- probably like five or six. I would say so. I feel like Dendy Bar is going to come back heavy in the last I mean, few pages. I feel like we are the next. Here's my 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 guess. The very next chapter is going to be either the very next two chapters will have to be either the bad guys catching up to them and them discovering the dragon, sure, and then being caught between the two evils or having to defeat one or split the party to do both, and then that's going to take a good chunk of what's left in the book. And then I think we're going to hear, I have, I have like the heroes are going to win. They're going to defeat the bad guys right. in some way right. or escape or right. Mithril Hall is going to be lost to the ages. Like the dragon will burn, melt everything down. Right. Or something. It's definitely going to be one or the other or neither or both. Yeah. I, I, and in that way, I am absolutely correct. Yes. In every possible way. Yeah. So, so I, I, I've got to imagine that there will be a, some kind of check-in with Dendi Bar, like right. either a, a, Dendi a Bar Pegasus. Who? Is that his name? Oh, the modeled. Ah, thank you. Like like a Pegasus head in his chamber bed, or <laughs> a, or or some something like that, where it's like, hey, don't fuck with me, kind of message. But uh, I I don't 
I don't know. I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if either he, if 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 Intrary and Sydney make it or don't. Mm-hmm. I find that the 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 characters who aren't dritzed in these books and or any of the main party don't their longevity seems assured. No, well, their longevity seems assured, but the of the other people, oh, gotcha. of anyone yeah, who's sorry. not in the party, it's who who could tell? Like who. The the it, it in that way again it's it's another one of those things that feels like Game of Thrones it feels like this like when you when you when you meet uh, Jaredin at the gates and then he keeps showing up and you're like oh that actor is going to be a recurring character okay we'll see him around oh I'm going to like him and then he's dead <laughs> so why should I continue to care about these characters that just pop up to die I'm yeah. not and I and I guess that's just fiction but it just seems like like Whisper ooh whisper the the secret you know peddler you built uh, her up and then killed her that's the describe, thing. It's, it's yeah the, des- it's the build exactly. up that makes us think she's going to be around or right. a threat right and, it's and really, it's that- you're building her up so it's more impressive when entrary just kills her and i think so far that's a criticism i would have of salvatore's writing again is that he creates somewhat interesting side characters background characters and then oftentimes just will be done with them very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it, I think he, I think what he wants it to be is a way to convey a sense of risk in the world Yeah, that, that these characters could die. Anyone could die at any moment. Look at all these characters who've died, but honestly, much like with game of Thrones for me, it just comes off as feeling like I'm, like time is going away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm just missing out on like, I invested a, even the slight amount I could have in, in someone like whisper. And now she's gone. It's like, why do I know that character anymore? Why do I care? She was worthless. Like what she actually provided was very little to the story. So same with Jared in like it, the, unless he's not actually dead and there's some sort of like trick He's like, I will be, I couldn't forget his name soon enough is basically how I feel about it. And in that way, I resent having read the book mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's what I don't like. I don't like that, that it's like planned obsolescence. You know, it's like this feeling of like, oh, I like that. It's, it's like, I, I don't appreciate being, being sold a, a, a thing with the promise of it having a, a like potentially long like a long lasting life cycle in my in, in in the value I get out of it, only to find that it doesn't. Right, you're saying reading this book is the equivalent of your iPhone slowing down. Yes, I get it. Um, and yeah. I think that the consumer has a reason to be resentful for that. Yeah, you just need the Idritz thirteen. Well, like there's thirty three versions that keep coming out, so like I mean. For sure. Maybe, maybe by the time I get up to thirty three, I'll be uh, I'll be satisfied. And, and I think the other tragedy there for me is that we have discovered a handful of chapters that are exactly what I think you and I were both looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And would appeal to us. Absolutely. And and to find so much of the book not be that, where where there is times where it, it clearly can be, mm-hmm. is is equally frustrating. Like it. I guess I'm just having a hard time like accepting that I don't think I really like these books, but I because I want to. Sure. I mean, I I get having the media be not what you're expecting. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it's not a surprise 
really pleasant or other, it's that it doesn't meet what I was expecting. I've got a shape of fantasy in my head, and this mm-hmm. thing hits that occasionally, but most of the time just lays flat. It's not even something else. It's just doing not much. Right. And when it does hit those peaks, it's definitely in that ballpark that I had imagined, but it is, like you said, disappointing. It, and it's a, it's a it's a high cost to get to those places because yeah. you have to read so much and you have to invest so much time that when you finally get there, it it feels like a letdown. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it's it's too little, too late when you get those good chapters. Well, uh, I don't think I have anything left to say about this section. We will pick this up next week and finish the book. It'll be the book wrap party. So bring your party favors. I don't think I have anything else to say. Do you? I don't. Let's get out. Let's put this thing to bed. That was Death Readers. I'm Doug. I'm Rob. Thanks for listening. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. These reviews help new listeners find us and join the discussion. Follow us on Twitter and like our new Facebook page for Death Readers News. Become a patron at Patreon slash Death Readers. And please discuss us extensively on Reddit. Yeah, let's jump right into the uh, the show. Which is uh, starting with... Ah, <clears throat> my cue. <laughs> chapter 13, The Last Run. This chapter is an exercise in how many different ways Salvatore can write, They Fought Trolls. I hope he stopped at the troll booth. Oh, oh no. Is, is that, is that a booth over a bridge? <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you're trying to get my goat. You don't have to be so gruff about it. This is horrible. Yeah, it's a good way to start a show. Um, <laughs> do you have any notes in this chapter? No, I don't. Wait, no, I that's have, not true. What? <laughs> I do. Wow. <laughs> this is a great way to start a show. Start over, start over. Ask you me seem nearly again. incoherent. Okay, we'll start over. Um, do you have any notes in this chapter? Chapter 14, Starlight, Starbright. Where my very first note is going to be after well, your well, summary. Well, yeah, that's, well, that <laughs> should be how this goes. Um, summary. Summary.